Welcome to episode one of Book Notes, where I share with you great stuff from great books. In this episode, I'm highlighting some of my favorite excerpts from the best-selling book, The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. But before we dig into what is one of my very favorite books, one that I've given as a gift to dozens of friends and family over the last four years or so, I want to take a minute in this first episode to give a little bit of background and context for this podcast. The idea of book notes for me was born over 20 years ago, actually, when I determined that I wanted to retain as much as possible. I wanted to read to learn, to really, to really learn and to improve my own writing. So all the way back in 1997, I began keeping a meticulous record of everything that I read. There's a saying drifting around out there that basically says, uh, you don't have to remember what you read to be smart. You just need to know where to find it again. And so I've kind of taken that to heart, literally, because I'm a guy who was not a great student, and that's putting it lightly. As a student, I had a terrible time grasping concepts and retaining information. And we know that retention of knowledge can only really happen with repetition. And so I've, I've relied on this. So my book notes have served me really well over the years. I can grab quotes and anecdotes and facts and case studies from all of these great books that I've read and then teach them in various settings and programs that I have the honor of, of teaching to organizations around the world. So let me just share um, an excerpt from July 7th, 1997. This was the day that I actually began doing this. It gives a little bit more insight into the initial intent and the origin of book notes. So I quote from, from this first entry. Quote, In reading the book Book Notes by Brian Lamb during the past week, I found an even greater desire to read often and write well throughout my life. Book Notes is a collection of excerpts from Mr. Lamb's weekly C-SPAN program of the same title. In this program, Mr. Lamb interviews the great authors of our day. As I read of their experiences in tackling challenging topics and learning the specifics of where, how, and why each of them write, I felt an increased desire to write more and to read as much as possible. It's a desire to acquire as much knowledge as I can to improve my ability to write and write well, and someday to teach others. In one episode, Mr. Lamb talked about John Adams, the second president of the United States, who was himself an avid reader. Of him, he explained, The normal notion that you could look into a person's library and be able to tell by looking at the titles what the basic drift of this person's thinking and opinions were, you would be driven mad by Adams because Adams liked to buy books that he disagreed with. He would then read these books, and in the margins, he would write almost as much as was in the original text. His marginalia is, in some ways, the most revealing statement of his political philosophy because he'll write things like in Rousseau, Thou flee, thou vermin, thou wretch, thou understandest not humankind. He was reading to respond, to learn, think, and to debate common thought. So inspired by the copious notes and retention of knowledge 
of the likes of President Adams, I've now begun my own volume of notes. It's intended to solidify in my mind the thoughts and ideas that I find within the pages of great books. In short, this is the history of my personal quest for knowledge. It's an outlet and a practice field to increase my capacity. It's a never-ending research project. It's a catalyst for the information I will consume, and I hope it will serve as an effective and inspiring resource for others someday. Okay, so there you have a glimpse into what book notes means to me, and I hope that it might now mean something important for you. With that, let me again welcome you to episode one of Book Notes. As I mentioned in this episode, I'm highlighting some of my favorite excerpts from The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. What I share in this podcast is really just a fraction of Ryan's book. It's only a snippet. It's what really stood out for me personally. So call it a preview to the actual book. And from here, it's my hope that you will go and invest in the book for yourself or buy the entire Audible and invest the time in the entire work because it's well worth your time and effort. Now, I have no financial incentive here. This is not uh, an upsell of any kind. I genuinely recommend The Obstacle is the Way. Like I said, this is one of my favorite books. And I love the way Ryan distills powerful principles and ideas from ancient philosophers and Stoics into a way that is applicable today, right now. Before we jump in, let me just explain how this podcast works. It's pretty simple, actually. I'm just sharing with you the excerpts that I've highlighted. These are the uh, snippets that I refer to if I want to quote, maybe in a training or drop into a PowerPoint. The excerpts that, for one reason or another, um, they struck me as important or powerful and that I want to refer to from time to time. So in each book notes episode, I'm reading those excerpts and adding just a little bit of commentary. And hopefully, we learn some really great things together. And please, if you have a comment or feedback or want to know when another podcast is released, please just leave a comment. All right then, let's get started. You know what you want to do, but it feels like some invisible enemy has boxed you in, holding you down with pillows. You try to get somewhere, but something invariably blocks the path, following and thwarting each move that you make. You have just enough freedom to feel like you can move, just enough to feel like it's your fault when you can't seem to follow through or build momentum. Bad companies are destroyed by crisis. Good companies survive them. Great companies are improved by them. Great individuals, like great companies, find a way to transform weakness into strength. It's a rather amazing and even touching feat. They took what should have held them back, what in fact might be holding you back right this very second, and used it to move forward. As it turns out, this is one thing all great men and women of history have in common, like oxygen to a fire. Obstacles became fuel for the blaze that was their, their ambition. Nothing could stop them. They were and continue to be impossible to discourage or contain. Every impediment only served to make the inferno within them burn with greater ferocity. The obstacle in the path becomes the path. Never forget, 
within every obstacle is an opportunity to improve our condition. Things which hurt, Benjamin Franklin wrote, instruct. Objective judgment, now at this very moment. Unselfish action, now at this very moment. Willing acceptance, now at this very moment. Of all external events, that's all you need. Marcus Aurelius. To prevent becoming overwhelmed by the world around us, we must, as the ancients practiced, learn how to limit our passions and their control over our lives. It takes skill and discipline to bat away the pests of bad perceptions, to separate reliable signals from deceptive ones, to filter out prejudice, expectation, and fear. But it's worth it, for what's left is truth. While others are excited or afraid, we will remain calm and imperturbable. We will see things simply and straightforwardly as they truly are, neither good nor bad. This will be an incredible advantage for us in the fight against obstacles. As a young man, Rockefeller had Sangfroid, unflappable coolness under pressure. He could keep his head while he was losing his shirt. Better yet, he kept his head while everyone else lost theirs. He internalized an important lesson that would stay with him forever. The market was inherently unpredictable and often vicious. Only the rational and disciplined mind could hope to profit from it. Speculation led to disaster, he realized, and he needed to always ignore the mad crowd and its inclinations. As he once put it, he was inclined to see the opportunity in every disaster. To that, we could add, he had the strength to resist temptation or excitement, no matter how seductive, no matter, no matter the situation. Rockefeller, like all great investors, could resist impulse in favor of cold, hard common sense. Rockefeller's personality, resilient, adaptable, calm, brilliant. He could not be rattled, not by economic crisis, not by a glittery mirage of false opportunities, not by aggressive bullying enemies, not even by federal prosecutors, for whom he was a notoriously difficult witness to cross-examine, never rising to take the bait or defend himself or get upset. It began in that crisis of 1857 in what he called the school of adversity and stress. What matters most is not what these obstacles are, but how we see them, how we react to them, and whether we keep our composure. You'll learn that this reaction determines how successful we will be in overcoming or possibly thriving because of them. Rockefeller's careful, cautious self-confidence was an incredible form of power. To perceive what others see as negative, as something to be approached rationally and clearly and most important as an opportunity, not as something to fear or bemoan. Too often, we react emotionally, get despondent, and lose our perspective. All that does is turn bad things into really bad things. Unhelpful perceptions can invade our minds, that sacred place of reason, action, and will, and throw off our compass. Like Rockefeller, we can see opportunity in every disaster and transform that negative situation into an education, a skill set, or a fortune. Seen properly, everything that happens, be it an economic crash or a personal tragedy, is a chance to move forward, even if it is on a bearing that we did not anticipate.
Choose not to be harmed. And you won't feel harmed. Don't feel harmed. And you haven't been. Marcus Aurelius. We decide what we will make of each and every situation. We decide whether we'll break or whether we'll resist. We decide whether we'll assent or reject. No one can force us to give up or to believe something that is untrue. Our perceptions are the thing that we're in complete control of. They can throw us in jail, label us, deprive us of our possessions, but they'll never control our thoughts, our beliefs, our reactions, which is to say we are never completely powerless. If an unjust prison sentence can be not only salvage but transformative and beneficial, then for our purposes, nothing we'll experience is likely without potential benefit. In fact, if we can have our wits fully about us, we can step back and remember that situations by themselves cannot be good or bad. This is something, a judgment, that we as human beings bring to them with our perceptions. Nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so, as Shakespeare put it. Through our perception of events, we are complicit in the creation as well as the destruction of every one of our obstacles. Just because other people say that something is hopeless or crazy or broken to pieces doesn't mean it is. We decide what story to tell ourselves or whether we will tell one at all. Everything is falling and crashing down around us, exactly when we feel like we can't handle any more. Do we stare it down, ignore it, blink once or twice and redouble our concentration? Or do we get shaken up? Do we try to medicate these bad feelings away? When we aim high, pressure and stress obligingly come along for the ride. Stuff is going to happen that catches us off guard, threatens or scares us, surprises are almost always guaranteed. The risk of being overwhelmed is always there. In these situations, talent is not the most sought-after characteristic. Grace and poise are because these two attributes precede the opportunity to deploy any other skill. We must possess, as Voltaire once explained, about the secret to the great military success of the first Duke of Marlborough, that tranquil courage in the midst of tumult and serenity of soul in danger, which the English call a cool head. We are collected and serious and aren't going to be frightened off. This means preparing for the realities of our situation, steadying our nerves so that we can throw our best at it, stealing ourselves, shaking off the bad stuff as it happens and soldiering on, staring straight ahead as though nothing has happened. Because as you now realize, it's true. If your nerves hold, then nothing really did happen. Our perception made sure it was nothing of consequence. When people panic, they make mistakes. They override systems. They disregard procedures, ignore rules. They deviate from the plan. They become unresponsive and stop thinking clearly. They just react, not to what they need to react to, but to the survival, survival hormones that are coursing through their veins. Life is really no different. Obstacles make us emotional. 
But the only way we'll survive or overcome them is by keeping those emotions in check. If we can keep steady no matter what happens, no matter how much external events may fluctuate, don't let the negativity in. Don't let those emotions even get started. Just say, no, thank you. I can't afford to panic. Forget manliness. If you need to take a moment, by all means, go ahead. Real strength lies in the control, or as Nassim Taleb put it, the domestication of one's emotions, not in pretending they don't exist. You can always remind yourself, I am in control, not my emotions. I see what's really going on here. I'm not going to get excited or upset. Man does not simply exist, but always decides what his existence will be, what he will become the next moment. By the same token, every human being has the freedom to change at any instant. Viktor Frankl When you can break apart something or look at it from a new angle, it loses its power over you. Fear is debilitating, distracting, tiring, and often irrational. We are scared of obstacles because our perspective is wrong. That a simple shift in perspective can change our reaction entirely. Take what you're afraid of when fear strikes you and break it apart. We can't change the obstacles themselves. That part of the equation is set. But the power of perspective can change how the obstacles appear, how we approach, view, and contextualize an obstacle, and what we tell ourselves it means determines how daunting and trying it will be to overcome. The right perspective has a strange way of cutting obstacles and adversity down to size. What we can do is limit and expand our perspective to whatever will keep us calmest and most ready for the task at hand. Think of it as selective editing, not to deceive others, but to properly orient ourselves. And it works. Small tweaks can change what once felt like impossible tasks. Suddenly, where we felt weak, we realize we are strong. With perspective, we discover leverage we didn't know we had. Where the head goes, the body follows. Perception precedes action. Right action follows the right perspective. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. This is how addicts focus their efforts. It's a lot easier to fight addiction when you aren't also fighting the fact that you were born, that your parents were monsters, or that you lost everything. That stuff is done, delivered. Zero in 100 chances that you can change it. So, what if you focus on what you can change? That's where you can make a difference. And what is up to us? Our emotions our judgments, our creativity, our attitude, our perspective, our desires, our decisions, our determination. This is our playing field, so to speak. Everything there is fair game. What's not up to us? Well, you know, everything else, the weather, the economy, circumstances, other people's emotions or judgments, trends, disasters, etc. Distinction to make. The difference between the things that are in our power and the things that aren't. 
That's the difference between the people who can accomplish great things and the people who find it impossible to stay sober, to avoid not just drugs or alcohol, but all addictions. Every ounce of energy directed at things we can't actually influence is wasted, self-indulgent, and self-destructive. So much power, ours and other people's, is frittered away in this manner. To see an obstacle as a challenge, to make the best of it anyway, that is also a choice, a choice that is up to us. Focus on the moment, not the monsters that may or may not be up ahead. What matters is that right now is right now. You can take the trouble that you're dealing with and use it as an opportunity to focus on the present moment, to ignore the totality of your situation and learn to be content with what happens as it happens, to have no way that the future needs to be to confirm your predictions because you didn't make any, to let each new moment be afresh, wiping clear what came before and what others were hoping would come next. It's not simply a matter of saying, oh, I'll live in the present. You have to work at it. Catch your mind when it wanders. Don't let it get away from you. Discard distracting thoughts. Leave things well enough alone no matter how much you feel like doing otherwise. Steve Jobs learned to reject the first judgments and the objections that spring out of them because those objections are almost always rooted in fear. When he ordered a special kind of glass for the first iPhone, the manufacturer was aghast at the aggressive deadline. We don't have the capacity, they said. Don't be afraid, Jobs replied. You can do it. Get your mind around it. You can do it. Nearly overnight, manufacturers transformed their facilities into glass-making behemoths. And within six months, they'd made enough for the whole first run of the phone. An entrepreneur is someone with faith in their ability to make something where there was nothing before. To them, the idea that no one has ever done this or that is a good thing. When given an unfair task, some rightly see it as a chance to test what they're made of, to give it all they've got, knowing full well how difficult it will be to win. They see it as an opportunity because it is often in that desperate, nothing-to-lose state that we are our most creative. Our best ideas come from there, where obstacles illuminate new options. It's one thing to not be overwhelmed by obstacles or discouraged or upset by them. This is something that few are able to do. But after you have controlled your emotions and you can see objectively and stand steadily, the next step becomes possible, a mental flip. So you're looking not at the obstacle, but at the opportunity within it. As Laura Ingalls Wilder put it, there is good in everything, if only we look for it. If you mean it when you say you're at the end of your rope and would rather quit, you actually have a unique chance to grow and improve yourself, a unique opportunity to experiment with different solutions. How about that business decision that turned out to be a mistake? Well, you had a hypothesis and it turned out to be wrong. Why should that upset you? It wouldn't piss off a scientist. It would help him. Maybe don't bet so much on it next time. And now you've learned two things, that your instinct was wrong 
and the kind of appetite for risk you really have. Blessings and burdens are not mutually exclusive. It's a lot more complicated. Socrates had a mean, nagging wife. He always said that being married to her was good practice for philosophy. Sports psychologists recently did a study of elite athletes who were struck with some adversity or serious injury. Initially, each reported feeling isolation, emotional disruption, and doubts about their athletic ability. Yet afterward, each reported gaining a desire to help others, additional perspective, and realization of their own strengths. In other words, every fear and doubt they felt during the injury turned into greater abilities in those exact areas. It's a beautiful idea. Psychologists call it adversarial growth and post-traumatic growth. That which doesn't kill me makes me stronger is not a cliche, but fact. No one is talking glass half full style platitudes here. This must be a complete flip. Seeing through the negative past its underside and into its corollary, the positive. But in our lives, when our worst instincts are in control, we dally. We act frail and are powerless to make ourselves better. We may be able to articulate a problem, even potential solutions, but then weeks, months, or sometimes years later, the problem is still there, or it's gotten worse. As though we expect someone else to handle it. As though we honestly believe that there is a chance of obstacles unobstacling themselves. We've all done it, said, I'm so overwhelmed, tired, stressed, busy, blocked, outmatched. And then what do we do about it? Go out and party or treat ourselves or sleep in or wait. It feels better to ignore or pretend. But you know, deep down, that isn't going to truly make it any better. You've got to act and you've got to start now. We forget in life, it doesn't matter what happens to you or where you came from. It matters what you do with what happens with and what you've been given. And the only way you'll do something spectacular is by using it all to your advantage. No one is coming to save you. And if we'd like to go where we claim we want to go to accomplish what we claim are our goals, there's only one way. And that's to meet our problems with the right action. Therefore, we can always and only greet our obstacles with energy, with persistence, with a coherent and deliberate process, with iteration and resilience, with pragmatism, with strategic vision, with craftiness and savvy. That's how people who become great at things do. They start anywhere, anyhow. They don't care if the conditions are perfect or if they're being slighted because they know that once they get started, if they can just get some momentum, they can make it work. Tell yourself, the time for that has passed. The wind is rising. The bell's been rung. Get started, get moving. We often assume that the world moves at our leisure. We delay when we should initiate. We jog when we should be running, or better yet, sprinting. And then we're shocked. Take the bat off your shoulder and give it a swing. You've got to start to go anywhere. Now, let's say you've already done that. Fantastic. You're already ahead of most people. But let's take and ask an honest question. Could you be doing more? You probably could. 
There's always more. At minimum, you could be trying harder. You might have gotten started, but your full effort isn't in it, and that shows. While you're sleeping, traveling, attending meetings, or messing around online, the same thing is happening to you. You're going soft. You're not aggressive enough. You're not pressing ahead. You've got a million reasons why you can't move at a faster pace. This all makes the obstacles in your life loom very large. For some reason, these days we tend to downplay the importance of aggression or of, or of taking risks, of barreling forward. It's probably because it's been negatively associated with certain notions of violence or masculinity. You can't ever let up your flying speed. If you do, you crash. Be deliberate, of course, but you always need to be moving forward. Stay moving always. Those who attack problems and life with the most initiative and energy usually win. If we're to overcome our obstacles, this is the message to broadcast internally and externally. We will not be stopped by failure. We will not be rushed or distracted by external noise. We will chisel and peg away at the obstacle until it is gone. Resistance is futile. Only with persistence and time can we cut away debris and remove impediments. Only in struggling with the impediments that made others quit can we find ourselves on untrodden territory. Only by persisting and resisting can we learn what others were too impatient to be taught. It's okay to be discouraged. It's not okay to quit. Edison once explained that in inventing, the first step is an intuition and comes with a burst, then difficulties arise. What set Edison apart from other inventors is tolerance for these difficulties and the steady dedication with which he applied himself towards solving them. It's supposed to be hard. Your first attempts aren't going to work. It's going to take a lot out of you. But energy is an asset we can always find more of. It's a renewable resource. Stop looking for an epiphany and start looking for weak points. Stop looking for angels and start looking for angles. There are options. Settle in for the long haul and then try each and every possibility and you'll get there. When people ask where we are, what we're doing, how hard that situation is coming along, the answer should be clear. We're working on it. We're getting closer. When setbacks come, we respond by working twice as hard. There's nothing shameful about being wrong, about changing course. Each time it happens, we have new options. Problems become opportunities. When failure does come, ask, what went wrong here? What can be improved? What am I missing? Don't think about winning the SEC championship. Don't think about the national championship. Think about what you need to do in this drill, on this play, in this moment. That's the process. Let's think about what we can do today, the task at hand. When it comes to our actions, disorder and distraction are death. The unordered mind loses track of what's in front of it, what matters, and gets distracted by thoughts of the future. The process is order. It keeps our perceptions in check and our actions in sync. Being trapped is just a position, not a fate. 
you get you get out of it by addressing and eliminating each part of that position through small deliberate actions not by trying and failing to push it away with super superhuman strength another president james garfield paid his way through college in 1851 by persuading his school the western reserve eclectic institute to let him be the janitor in exchange for tuition he did the job every day smiling and without a hint of shame each morning, he'd ring the university's bell tower to start the classes, his day already having long begun, and stomped a class with cheer and eagerness. Within just one year of starting at the school, he was a professor, teaching a full course load in addition to his studies. By his 26th birthday, he was the dean. This is what happens when you do your job, whatever it is, and do it well. Sometimes on the road to where we are going or where we want to be, we have to do things that we'd rather not do. Or you think, this is just a job. It isn't who I am. It doesn't matter. Foolishness. Everything we do matters. Whether it's making smoothies while you save up money or studying for the bar, even after you already achieve the success you sought, Everything is a chance to do and be your best. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, and wherever we are going, we owe it to ourselves, to our art, to the world, to do it well. That's our primary duty and our obligation. When action is our priority, vanity falls away. Hard work, honesty, helping others as best we can, right action, unselfish, dedicated, masterful, creative. That is the answer to that question. That's one way to find the meaning of life. How you can do anything is how you can do everything. We can always act right. Start thinking like a radical pragmatist, still ambitious, aggressive, and rooted in ideals, but also eminently practical and guided by the possible. Not on everything you would like to have, not on changing the world right at this moment, but ambitious enough to get everything you need. Don't think small, but make the distinction between the critical and the extra. Think progress, not perfection. Under this kind of force, obstacles break apart. They have no choice. Since you're going around them or making them irrelevant, there is nothing for them to resist. In a study of some 30 conflicts comprising more than 280 campaigns from ancient to modern history, the brilliant strategist and historian B.H. Lytle Hart came to a stunning conclusion. In only six of the 280 campaigns was the decisive victory a result of a direct attack on the enemy's main army. Only six, that's 2%. If not from pitched battles, where do we find victory? From everywhere else, from the flanks, from the unexpected, from the psychological, from drawing opponents out from their defenses. We wrongly assume that moving forward is the only way to progress, the only way we can win. Sometimes staying put going sideways or moving backward is actually the best way to eliminate what blocks or impedes your path. There's a certain humility required in that approach. 
It means accepting that the way you were originally wanted to do things is not possible. You just haven't got it in you to do the traditional way. But so what? Passive resistance is, in fact, incredibly active. But those actions come in the form of discipline, self-control, fearlessness, determination, and grand strategy. Every positive has its negative. Every negative has its positive. The action is in the pushing through, all the way through to the other side, making a negative into a positive. To quote Beethoven, The barriers are not erected, which can say to aspiring talents and industry, thus far and no farther. We can go around or under or backward. We can decide that momentum and defeat are not mutually exclusive. We can keep going, advancing, even if we've been stopped in one particular direction. No matter how many times we are thrown back, we alone retain the power to decide to go once more or to try another route, or at the very best, to accept this reality and decide upon a new aim. Determination, if you think about it, is invincible. Nothing other than death can prevent us from following Churchill's old acronym, KBO, keep buggering on. Despair, that's on you. No one else is to blame when you throw in the towel. Why would you be your own worst enemy? A man's job is to make the world a better place to live in so far as he is able. Always remembering the results will be infinitesimal. Sometimes when we are personally struck with some intractable or impossible problem, one of the best ways to create opportunities or new avenues for movement is to think. If I can't solve this for myself, how can I at least make this better for other people? Take it for granted for a second that there is nothing else in it for us, nothing we can do for ourselves. How can we use this situation to benefit others? How can we salvage some good out of this, if not for me, then for my family? Or the others I'm leading, or those who might later find themselves in a similar situation? What doesn't help anyone is making this all about you all the time. Why did this happen to me? What am I going to do about this? You'll be shocked by how much of the hopelessness lifts when we reach that conclusion. Stop making it harder on yourself by thinking about I, I, I. Stop putting that dangerous I in front of events. I did this. I was so smart. I had that. I deserve better than this. No wonder you take losses personally. No wonder you feel so alone. You've inflated your own role and importance. Start thinking unity over self. We're in this together. Whatever you're going through, whatever is holding you down or standing in your way can be turned into a source of strength by thinking of people other than yourself. You won't have time to think of your own suffering because there are other people suffering and you're too focused on them. Stop pretending that what you're going through is somehow special or unfair. Whatever trouble you're having, no matter how difficult, is not some unique misfortune picked out especially for you. It just is what it is. This kind of myopia is what convinces us to our own detriment that we're the center of the universe, when really, there is a world beyond our own personal experience filled with people who have dealt with worse. We're not special or unique simply by virtue of being. 
We are all, at varying points in our lives, a subject of random and often incomprehensible events. Embrace this power, this sense of being part of a larger whole. It's an exhilarating thought. We are all just humans doing the best we can. We're all just trying to survive and in the process, inch the world forward a little bit. Help your fellow humans thrive and survive. Contribute your little bit to the universe before it swallows you up and be happy with that. Lend a hand to others. Be strong for them and it will make you stronger. Thinking about and being aware of our mortality creates real perspective and urgency. It doesn't need to be depressing because it's invigorating. Passing one obstacle simply says you're worthy of more. The world seems to keep throwing them at you once it knows you can take it, which is good because we get better with every attempt. First, see clearly. Next, act correctly. Finally, endure and accept the world as it is. The philosopher and writer Nassim Nicholas Taleb defined a Stoic as someone who, quote, transforms fear into prudence, pain into transformation, mistakes into initiation, and desire into undertaking, unquote. It's a loop that becomes easier over time. There's a saying in Latin, we gather strength as we go. That's how it works. That's our motto. You are iron-spined and possess a great and powerful will. Like Lincoln, you realize that life is a trial. It will not be easy, but you are prepared to give it everything you have regardless, ready to endure, persevere, and inspire others. See things for what they are. Do what we can. Endure and bear what we must. What blocked the path now is a path. What once impeded action advances action. The obstacle is the way. That is the end of my book notes. I actually read only about a quarter of everything I actually highlighted. But now hopefully you understand why this is one of my favorite books. It's interesting because as I'm recording this episode, we are living through the COVID-19 quarantine. There's a lot of worry and despair. I think we're going to come out of this stronger. I think we are learning as a nation things that will inform us in ways that we can't even predict at this moment. I believe that we'll look back on this period and find that it prepared us individually and collectively for new heights and accomplishments that we could not have achieved if we hadn't gone through this. Call me crazy, but I see things the way Ryan Holiday does, that in great obstacles, we find our way. So go out and get a copy of The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. Invest in learning, invest in yourself. Thank you for taking this journey with me on this first episode of Book Notes. To learn more about this podcast, go to jeffchavez.net or follow along on Instagram at jeffchavez71. Mm-hmm.